Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here at Colonial Heights out there at our Midlothian campus. As uh, Dale alluded to earlier, we're in the midst of a, just a tremendous weekend. Uh, by the time we get to the end of the day, uh, that today will be our biggest performance in terms of attendance. We're going to have about 4,200 people uh, that will have traveled through here this weekend to see Jesus is Alive. We've seen 17 people uh, pray to receive Christ in the performances that we've had so far. So that's... Uh, pretty exciting. I know I've seen many of you at it. I saw a big contingent from Midlothian last night. A whole bunch of them came out as a, as a group. So it's, a, it's, it's been an exciting weekend. Just continuing to lift it up to the Lord and see how he, might, uh, how he might use that. You know, I think one of my favorite things about this time of year is just the smells that go with this time of year. You know, I think Christmas, December has more smells associated with than, than other events a month. I mean, who's ever heard of the smells of Father's Day? I, I, I'm not, not sure what smell that would be, uh, you know, or the, the smells really of, of Easter or, or any other holiday. But, but December has some aroma that goes with it, doesn't it? Maybe it's the, the fresh tree for all eight of us. How many people still use a fresh tree? Oh, way more than eight. Seventeen. All right. About 17 of us out there at Midlothian, yeah, we're, we're using fresh trees. That certainly fills the house with, with pine, or maybe it's all the extra cooking that we're doing right now, or maybe you just have one of those Yankee seasonal candles going all the time. I don't know what it is, pine nuts and cinnamon or something. I, I don't know what it is. My wife's always got a Yankee candle uh, going just to kind of, I'm not sure if it's to kind of create the ambiance of the season or just... Cover up the smell of the boys when they get home from practice every day. I'm not, I'm not sure what her goal in that is, but it, it feels good either way, and it smells good. You know, actually, psychology teaches us, you know, our, our mind responds very strongly to, to aroma, to fragrances. It, it evokes certain emotions. It evokes certain uh, memories. So it, it's really very powerful, and I, I think we probably all know that. Now, having said all that, just take everything I said and just... Put it over there for a bit. We'll come back and get it in a little while, okay? Well, let's go ahead and read a little piece out of, the, uh, out of the Christmas story. If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Uh, if you're kind of thumbing through there, uh, Zechariah and Malachi are the last two books of the Old Testament. And then you will hit Matthew. And if you go too far, you'll be in Mark or Luke. So that's the neighborhood you're aiming at. Matthew chapter 2, let me begin reading in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. If you're familiar with the story, especially as it unfolds, you know that Herod just told a lie. Verse 9, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
When, the, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You know, I think this is probably one of our favorite parts of the, the Christmas story. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying it's one of our favorites because I've done a survey of everybody and I, I know that. But isn't it kind of universal that we, that we reach out there and we grab this story and we pull it back into the manger? We, we pull this story back to the night that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Although, if you read pretty carefully pretty clear in verse 1. This is a separate event. This is a distinct event from the, the night of Jesus' birth. As a matter of fact, if you were listening closely, when I read verse 11, it didn't say the wise men approached Jesus there in the manger. No, it said they went into their house. Guess what? A manger is not a fun place to be. Nobody wants to live there. So, so after that night when he was born, I'm guessing Joseph said, I'm going to go out and get a house. This, this isn't going to work. You know, the animals and everything. And so they've moved into a house at this point and uh, are, are, are living there. But boy, even though we see that and read that, we, we want to put them there with the shepherds, don't we? I mean, that's just what works on our coffee table. We got the shepherds, we got the, the wise men, we got the animals lowing and maybe some angels. And we got that just precious, precious scene. You know what's amazing is you look at that precious scene on your mantle, on your coffee table. When you get home today, we have to stop and remember that scene was taking place in a real world. There, there's real political intrigue going on while you and I gaze on that scene. As a matter of fact... Because of that scene, every little boy under the age of two in and around Bethlehem lost his life. Herod wanted Jesus dead so bad, couldn't find him. So he said, I tell you what, just kill them all. Kill all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem under the age of two. Because of that age, most, most or because of that, what he said there, most take that probably Jesus was maybe even up to two years old when this event that we just read took place. So that's kind of what's going on in our precious moment. In our precious manger scene. We're continuing today our series, Christmas Words. This is our third week. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the word virgin. And in that word, saw the incredible love of God. For God had said in His word that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And yet, even as God utters that statement, He knows it's going to be His blood only His blood can accomplish that. Only His blood can do that. And the virgin birth delivers to us Jesus with a, a human body and with blood. The virgin birth is the first step to the cross. Last week we looked at the word fulfilled. Oh, that was exciting for all half of us that weren't struck down by the weather event. And, and the half that were here. We looked at that word fulfilled and we saw something. And, and this to me is why it's so meaningful. Because you know in our world and our culture today... Faith is almost synonymous with myths and fairy tales, isn't it? And when you, when you say faith, it's almost like you're saying something anti-science. And yet what we saw as we looked at the, all the prophecies that were fulfilled, the historical evidence, we saw, man, there is great evidence for our faith. 
It's not a leap into myths and fairy tales. There's real reason to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Reason to believe that we should listen and obey Him as the Son of God. When you and I read our Christmas story to realize, this actually happened. Everything we're reading here actually took place. So we looked at those words so far and, uh, and uh, have understood what they mean. And today we come to the word frankincense. Now obviously there's three gifts. There's three words there in our story. And I have picked one of them. Not for any particular reason. I'd love to say God came to me in the middle of a dream last week and said, only talk about frankincense. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? That's not at all what happened. I just like the word frankincense. I could have talked about all three of them. I could have talked about one of the others. But we're, we're looking at frankincense. All three of them, I believe, actually are communicating something very significant about this moment, about, about this baby Jesus. I think the gold points to his royalty, that, that he is a king. This baby is a king. That gold also says something to you and me. See, not only is there a message about who Jesus is, but in that gift it's telling to us how we should value this baby. The kind of impact this baby should have on our lives. And then there's the gift of myrrh, which actually was used as an embalming fluid. Now that is not your everyday baby shower gift, is it? Can you, can you just fathom that? You've got all your little finger sandwiches out and everything's pink and baby blue. And you're opening up gifts and somebody gives you a bottle of embalming fluid. You'd ask them to leave, wouldn't you? You can get, get out of here and put that cucumber sandwich back. Bombing fluid. But of course, we know the life and the story of Jesus. We know what that's pointing to, don't we? This baby's been born to die. This baby's come to die for us. Now, with the gifts and there's meaning, there was probably a very practical function behind the gifts. They probably cashed them out. Because we know that Herod or, or uh, an angel is going to come to Joseph and say, Hey, listen, Herod is trying to kill Jesus. There's going to be some bad things that are getting ready to happen. You need to get Mary. You need to get the baby and get out of town. And that's exactly what they do. And they flee to Egypt for several years. And it's probably these gifts that fund the, the, their trip, that fund their stay in Egypt. But what, what about the frankincense? What is the meaning in and around that word? What is its, its meaning for us? Frankincense was a, uh, was a scent uh, that was dug out of a particular balsam tree. You'd get right to the core uh, of this tree and you would pull out this gum-like, this, this amber-colored resin. And, and you'd pull this out. You could ground it into a powder. You could, you could take it in little flakes, little chips, and, and burn it. And it just became this incredible smelling, very fragrant spice. But this tree that, it was, that they got that out of was only found in southern Arabia. So it was very rare. And, and then the caravans would get it to other parts of the world, which would add to the cost. So uh, while you and I might look at those gifts and say, I'll take the gold. <laughs> don't run away from the frankincense, believe it or not. The frankincense would have been just as expensive, would have been just as valuable, just as costly as, as even the gold itself. Now, not only did it play that role in the world, but frankincense plays a role in Jewish faith and life. And when a Jew would have seen or heard about or smelled frankincense, they would have thought of one thing. And folks, I mean only one thing. They would have thought about the worship of God 
inside the tent of meeting, inside the tabernacle. They wouldn't think of the worship of God, you know, out by themselves somewhere, but actually in the house of God is where they would think of that. And so they tied it to that event. Let me read you uh, just a quick passage kind of describing for you uh, in Exodus how it was used and connected uh, to worship. I'm reading from Exodus chapter 30. I'm going to begin reading in verse 34. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacte and anica and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each there shall be an equal part. And make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it very small and put part of it before the testimony in the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. You shall put it there where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you. So God has just said, okay, this recipe I just gave you, that is now to be holy. Holy means separate, distinct. Not common. You see, when you and I hear the word holy, if I were to ask you what's the opposite of holy, you'd say unholy, right? And, and you'd be right. But that's not the only word that's opposite of holy. Common. Now, common's not bad. Com common's not unholy. But common is not holy. When we talk about honoring this day, the Sabbath day is holy, that means we set it apart. It, we don't do the common things. We don't do the things on this day. We do the other six days of the week. So what he has said is, okay, this little recipe I just gave you, it is to be set apart. It is only to be used inside the tent of meeting. It is only to be used in worship. And listen to what happens if, that, if you use it for something else. And the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. You can't go home and put this in a Yankee candle. Uh-uh. You don't get to do that. If you do, listen to what happens. Whoever makes any like it to use as a perfume shall be cut off from the people. In other words, you're, you're kicked out of Israel. You're, you're no longer a part of the, the people of God. Now, I explain all that. That sounds, well, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty stiff. But, but the point of saying that, the point of saying that, folks, is when they saw frankincense... It would have only reminded them of the worship of God. And they would not have thought of any other kind of use, any other common use. They certainly wouldn't have thought about taking it home and making their, their house smell good. So they would have seen it that way. Now Leviticus also shows us frankincense being used with offerings. And the idea is kind of simple as you're burning the incense and the smoke is going up. You know, it's kind of symbolic of your prayers rising up to heaven. The worship, the offering rising up to heaven. But with that in mind, Leviticus says there's one offering that frankincense is never to be used with. It's not to be used with a sin offering. Kind of a practical reason for that. When you and I are before the Lord dealing with our sin God doesn't want words like fragrant and pleasing and aromatic to be attached to that. So God says, don't use frankincense with the sin offering. So that's kind of a couple of ways to understand what this stuff is uh, in the world, what it was in Jewish life. But what does it mean now? Here, here these wise men are. They're coming into the house. They're coming before this baby. They're setting these very expensive gifts down. And they've chosen to bring frankincense. I believe that this gift communicates this baby is God. It, the gold said this baby is the king. But now they go a step further in this frankincense and say this baby is God. Now I want to tell you something. I think you have to be careful 
about attaching meanings to things. Especially when the scripture didn't tell you to attach a meaning to things. When I, when I read through Matthew 2 and I said the, the wise men sent frankincense down, it didn't say in parentheses, and oh, by the way, this means that the baby is God. I think we have to be careful about just randomly attaching meanings to something that Scripture didn't tell us to do. But in this case, I do believe the Scripture tells us to do that. It didn't tell us in Matthew 2, but it tells us in a variety of other ways. One, which I just described. When Mary and Joseph saw that, they would have only been able to think of one thing, the worship of God. But it's not just what Jews knew. You remember last week when we looked at prophecy being fulfilled, we saw that one of the things prophesied is that to Jesus would be brought gold and frankincense. In other words, as these wise men come before Jesus, it doesn't really matter whether they understand what these gifts are communicating or not. It doesn't matter that they, you know, okay, before we go, we need to get three gifts together and it's got to say something prophetic. They probably didn't do that. But we know from Isaiah, 700 years before this event, that God had said, when my Messiah arrives, when my child arrives, gold and frankincense are going to be brought to it. And God had already communicated to the people what the frankincense means. So when we see that with the whole of Scripture, it seems very clear to me, God is communicating something about who this baby is. Now, I wouldn't run away from saying that the, the wise men didn't know that either. Remember, they've traveled a long distance. They've brought extremely expensive, extremely valuable gifts. And, and they walked into this house and they've fallen down and worshipped him. I mean, folks, obviously men of, of position, men of fortune, men of, of power don't normally walk into a common home and fall down and worship a child. So they have some insight into who this person, this baby Jesus Christ is. He is God. Now I think there's another meaning. And it is pointing to the kind of life Jesus is going to live. I think this frankincense points to the fragrant offering that Jesus' life is going to be to the Father. Now you know when I say Jesus and offering our mind, we kind of run straight away to the cross, don't we? Because Jesus offered himself there. But what Jesus was doing at the cross was a sin offering. So we wouldn't attach frankincense to the cross. So when I say that Jesus was an offering, I'm not talking about his death in this moment. I'm actually talking about how he lived. He lived perfectly. He lived wholly. He lived in a way that brought pleasure to the Father. He lived in a way that showed the world who God was and what God was like. And the scriptures communicate this over and over about literally the emotion that the father had about watching his son live. At his baptism in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, God speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved son. I delight in him. And then again, at the Mount of Transfiguration, God again speaks from heaven. Only Peter, James, and John were there to hear it, to see it. But God again says, This is my son. I delight in him. And then he says, Listen to him. Boy, there's a command we could just camp out on for a while, isn't it? I mean, when God speaks from heaven and says, listen to him, I think it kind of demands the question of us, are we? Am I? Am I listening to to what Jesus has said? Am I doing what Jesus has said? God talking about the life of his son was so, so pleasing with how he lived, says in Colossians 2, that all the fullness of God 
dwelt in his son. Everything there is about God was in Jesus. Absolutely nothing was, was missing. The Father had all of that deity fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Maybe the verse that most points to Jesus literally being an offering. And remember, you and I, our mind wouldn't read this and go to frankincense, but to the Jew... To the Jew who knew the scriptures, when they see Jesus being described this way, that's where their mind is going. And in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2, a a message, by the way, a verse that's commanded at you and me, we are told to walk in love. Okay, I'll do that. What's that look like? How do I do that? Paul says, as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Folks, as Christ lived... His life rose up into heaven and God just, oh boy, that's good. That's what Christ's life was like. But folks, do you notice what's happening in this verse? Not only is there a message in the gift, but there's a challenge in the gift because as we can certainly see Christ living that way, you and I are commanded to live the same way. Your life and my life is commanded to be a fragrant offering to God. Now, I don't know about y'all, I hear that anytime I'm told in Scripture to be like Jesus. Is it, doesn't your mind just immediately, but I can't do that. I mean, come on, he's God. Of course he can do that. I can't, I can't do that. Yeah, but he was a man too. And you and I are commanded to be like him. And folks, God doesn't command the impossible. He doesn't command you to be or do something you can't be or do. We are to be the same kind of fragrant offering to God that Jesus was. And do you know there actually is a group of people that Scripture talks about being just that, the church in Philippi. Paul is writing from prison and he writes the church in Philippi and he says, I'm fully supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you provided. And look at this. It's the exact same words that were just used of Jesus. A fragrant offering, a welcome sacrifice pleasing to God. Now what had they, what had they provided? They had given a gift to do this, to fund the ministry, to expand the gospel. And when we're living that way, we're helping people see God. We're helping people know God. Well, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do that was a fragrant offering? He showed the world God. He showed the world what God was like. And folks, now with Christ in us... We can live, we can give, we can tell in a way that people come to know God. Folks, when we're living so that people see God in us, we literally become a fragrant offering that rises up to heaven. I think that's so cool. I mean, what do you give to the God who has everything? You give your life. You you give your testimony to God. You know, folks, I feel like I'm blessed and that I can kind of be a little bit like Paul here. Because just as Paul wrote and, 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 and bragged on that church in Philippians or Philippi, I believe I could say, man, the, the, the church at the heights, the church that meets in Colonial Heights, the church that meets in Midlothian, you have offered sacrificially. You have given to fund the ministry, the work of God in this world. You have given so that the gospel is going out through missions all over this world. You heard us talking today about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Folks, that's an offering when we give that. Every single penny goes to funding the gospel in over 5,000 missionaries all over the world. Folks, you know what God is saying in Philippians? He's saying, I saw that. I watched you do that. And it is so pleasing to me as you do that. 
So go back. We've got those, those three wise guys. Wise men, excuse me. we got those three wise men going into the house. They're delivering that gift. A gift that gives a message. This baby is God. But in that message, there's a challenge. How you and I are going to live in a way at work, at school, among our family, that we're going to live in a way that people see God in us. That, that we live in a way that, that as we give, we're funding the ministry, we're funding the work of God, we're funding the gospel around this world. That we tell, we tell people, we actually tell them with our own mouth who He is, what He's done, what He means to me. And folks, when you and I are, are living and being and doing that, our lives rise up as a fragrant offering. That blows me away. Because, folks, God saved me by His grace and His kindness. I didn't deserve that. I wasn't owed an opportunity to be saved, owed an opportunity to know God. And as I received His gift, I can't pay it back. Okay, I got it for free, but boy, now I'm going to start earning it. I can't. I can't give to God anything that He needs. Okay, God, you're better now. You're richer now. You can do more now because I've done... No, there's nothing like that. But he's loved me so greatly. How can I show love back? You know what? Isn't God kind of telling us that right here? The scripture says you can bless me. You, you can be a fragrant offering in my home. Now, go back to the very beginning. You remember walking in the house and that, that smell of fresh cookies hits you? That, that dinner you love hits you as you open the door? Man, maybe you're coming out of cold weather or here recently you're coming out of the rain Maybe it's been a good day. Maybe it's been a horrible day. But you open the door and that, that aroma hits you. And it just, it, it just brings out those good emotions. It brings out those good feelings. And we, ah, that's good. And to think that I could be something, that I could do something, that could rise up into heaven and literally cause God, walking across his house, to pause and say, Oh boy, that's good. Isn't it a neat thought that in this last hour, here in this room, out there at the theater, that our lives, our activities, our giving has risen up and been just that for the Father who's loved us so greatly. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray the heights is a fragrant offering before you. As you watch us give, as you watch us live, as you watch us tell. Lord, I pray as a, a large group, a large gathering, three services, two campuses, I pray that when you see us gathered, we are a fragrant offering to you. And Lord, I pray that as we leave now in a moment... I pray that individually our lives continue to be that fragrant offering all week long. Oh God, I pray everywhere we go, everything that we do, we're constantly thinking about how can somebody see God in my life and the way I respond and the way I act and the way I talk. Pray all week long we're thinking about how can I give, how can I fund the ministry, how can I expand the gospel with the resources God has blessed me with. Oh, who can I tell? Who can I tell about Jesus Christ this week? Oh, Lord, we want our lives to rise up into your home and be that pleasing, fragrant offering. 
God, I want my life to cause you to pause and say, wow, that's good. Oh, may it be so, Lord Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.